Hey gang, it's Paul. How you doing? So since the last time we talked, two things happened. The first thing was that the pollen started falling and I have allergies to pollen. And what happens when the pollen starts dropping is that my I start coughing my full head off and my voice disappears. And, and that happened a, a few times and it's getting a little bit better, but turns out you kind of need to have a voice to do a podcast. So we weren't able to record a podcast a couple of weeks ago. And the second thing that happened was I started getting like all nostalgic and I was thinking about the first time that I talked to Donna and how that, like we started talking and almost immediately I figured out that she was just going to be absolutely perfect for the, the podcast because, because you guys know why she's just so smart and funny and, and wonderful. So, so I was like, yeah, let's record a, a, an episode together and see what happens. And, and what do you want to talk about? And she, without any hesitation, said Great White Sharks. So today we are going to replay the episode about Great White Sharks for you. And we think it came out pretty good, despite the fact that we were both a little bit nervous to record around each other for the first time. But uh, I think we warmed up to each other. I think we're, we're doing okay. So enjoy this repeat episode and we will bring you a brand new episode next week. Thanks. You are listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Great white sharks dive 4,000 feet, swim across the world. Damn, isn't that deep? 40 million years, and they haven't changed. Apex predator survival's the game. Ambush style is how they hunt Seven rows of teeth, Lorenzini in the front Oh, I love the great white shark Their bellies are white and the rest is dark Hello and welcome back to the Varmints Podcast, where every week we do a whole bunch of research to educate ourselves and you, the listener, on all things that creep, crawl, slither, fly, jump, hop, and swim on this planet, one animal at a time. My name is Paul, I'm your co-host, and I am not an animal expert, and I am not joined by Paul Wilk this week. Paul is doing great. He has got a lot of really good, positive changes coming his way in his life, they're all things that require his concentration and attention, and something had to give, and that something was the Varmints Podcast, so I want to say that I really do appreciate his valuable contributions to the first 14 or so episodes of this podcast. Uh, this podcast really is what it is because of him and because of what he did, and more importantly, I get to call Paul a friend, and that really is the best part of all this, so I am sad that I don't get to make podcasts with Paul Wilk anymore, but... The Varmints Podcast is going to continue, and I am so happy to introduce you to my new co-host. She is an artist, she's a graphic designer, a gamer, and a self-described animal nut who lives in Denver, Colorado with her boyfriend and small menagerie of pets. She is smart and funny, and I am so excited to introduce you to Donna Hume. Donna! Hi! <laughs> Welcome! Hi, thank you! Glad to have you! I am so excited. I'm like, eee! <laughs> Let's get started with the headlines. Donna, 
This is Varman's Headline News with your anchorman, some guy named Paul. Thank you, Matthew. The headline is, This man immediately regretted jumping onto a dead whale being eaten by great white sharks. Uh, Australia <laughs> Australia is just its like the perfect blend of dangerous animals and crazy people, and it's just a gold mine for, for news stories. Uh, Harrison Williams of Quinns Rock, which is north of Perth, Australia, was videotaped jumping from his friend's boat and swimming across to the dead whale because one of his mates said it would be pretty funny to surf the whale. News footage showed several large great white sharks circling and feeding on the other side of the whale. The 26-year-old said that he knew that they were busy chopping on the whale, but he told Seven News he knew it was a stupid thing to do once he got on top of the whale. Even the parents of this man who jumped onto the whale circled by hungry sharks say their son is an idiot. Harrison had this to say. Mom thinks I'm an idiot. Dad's not too proud either. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to keep that and just play that when people ask me what my parents think of the uh, the podcast. I'm just going to say... Mom thinks I'm an idiot. Dad's not too proud either. <laughs> <laughs> the crew on the Westpac Lifesaver helicopter snapped photographs yesterday of two huge sharks, one estimated to be about 18 feet long, feeding on that whale. That's a big shark. It was a big whale, too. And it wasn't like it was freshly dead, either. It was a big, rotten whale. Yeah. Like, who would jump on that? I looked at the picture. I don't know, a kid. A dumb kid. A dumb kid. Uh, yeah, a 26-year-old. <laughs> yes. A 26-year-old Australian. There's your answer. <laughs> what more reason do you need? <laughs> Australians are very adventurous. So, you know? Adventurous or crazy. I think maybe a little bit of both, but huh? it, that, that's really funny. Possibly drunk. Um, I would not be surprised if, if drugs and or alcohol... Figured into the scenario somehow. Oh my gosh. So that leads into what animal we're talking about this week. What are we talking about? We're talking about sharks. Yes. Which are like my favorite animal of the water. When I asked you what animal you wanted to talk about for your first episode, you typed in sharks in all capital letters. Sharks! That's because that's what you're supposed to say when you see sharks. (laughs) Let's learn about them. The kingdom of animals is fascinating. Now I'm going to tell you about their behavior and living patterns. So come on! What in God's holy name are you blathering about? We are blathering about great white sharks this week. The great white shark is also known, I didn't know this, it was also known as the white pointer, the white shark, or white white death, which that seems a little unnecessary. Um, well, they're, they can be pretty scary, so. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not the biggest shark in the ocean. The basking shark and the whale shark are much bigger, but it's probably the most well-known shark. They're, I mean, everybody, I think, if they've seen a cartoon shark, they know what a great white shark looks like. Very large, torpedo-shaped, big mouth, lots of teeth. They can live in almost any coastal and offshore water that is between 54 and 75 degrees, But most of them kind of choose to hang out where there's a lot of prey, especially seals. So the denser populations are off the coast of California and South Africa, where the majority of great white shark research takes place. Yep. And probably the first thing you think of when you think of a shark is the teeth. Great white shark teeth are pretty amazing. They're weird and they're neat. They can flex back and forth, and when when one tooth rocks back, it makes the nearby teeth flex and move as well. 
Researchers have measured changes in the tooth positions of biting movements in white sharks and found that the teeth rotate inward by almost 16 degrees. Wow. And since they're filled with pressure and position-sensing nerves, basically their teeth are like hundreds of sharp little fingers that they can use to explore the world. They use their teeth to check stuff out. Um, in the same way that we use our hands. So if you see sharks biting at shark cages and stuff, usually they're actually going, what is that? Nom, nom, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) So it's possible that these sharks' teeth are so sensitive to pressure and texture that they can detect how much fat reserves are in their prey and then reject the ones that would result in a negative energy net gain, meaning most non-fatty items like humans and sea otters are like celery for them and consuming them would take more effort than it's worth, which might be an explanation of why they spit people out a lot after they bite them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, it doesn't work out so well for the people most of the it's time. It's not great for the people, but, you know, it's great for the shark. They're they're not that concerned so yeah. about the people. They're like, oh, I can't eat that. That would take way too much energy. Um, and there's not many white sharks that are on diets so no they 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 eat pretty much anything you know you've heard the urban legends of finding dead sharks with tires and volkswagens in their bellies and stuff well wouldn't they reject that based on the low fat content that's all i'm saying (laughs) you would think right they still find that stuff in shark stomachs though <laughs> but maybe that's tiger sharks. So I'm not sure, but I just thought that was pretty funny. It's a, it's a hypothesis. It doesn't mean that that's necessarily what's going on. But there you go. Their that, teeth are like their fingers, which is so strange. That's really interesting. And I didn't know about like when you see a shark biting a cage with a person inside of it. The mm-hmm. immediate the immediate thing you think is that shark is going and trying to get to the person inside the cage to eat him. Right, and that's not it at all. They're just going, what is that? What is it? What is it? It, it, it feels like a non-food thing, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> to me, whenever I heard the somebody say that sharks can detect a single drop of blood in a large body of water, that always seemed like kind of an old, old wives' tale to me. It seemed like yeah. some sort of a myth or, or something until I did a little bit of research and found out that it's true, but it's dependent on a number of factors. First off, sharks have an extremely sensitive and keen and almost supernatural sense of smell. They have nostrils, but unlike our nostrils, they aren't used at all for breathing. That's what they have gills for. But their nostrils are aligned with specialized receptor cells that are used solely for smelling. So, awesome. Yeah, so when water flows into their nostrils, those receptor cells are really, really sensitive and they can detect minute chemical changes which sends signals to the olfactory bulb in their brain, and then those chemical changes are interpreted as smells. Now, here's what's really cool. Sharks smell in stereo. Like you said, their eyesight isn't that good. So they rely on their sense of smell to get to where their prey is. If they get a little more of that chemical change in one nostril, say in the right nostril, they'll turn to the right and move toward and then keep reacting to where the smell is coming from. That's why sharks kind of zigzag a lot oh wow that is really weird Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's awesome i like it and ocean water even really deep ocean water it's always moving in currents some Mm -hmm. really strong currents some really weak currents but it's always moving so as soon as a drop of blood makes contact with a moving current those tiny little molecules of blood that we can't even see start moving with the current 
and the shark only really needs to detect a couple of molecules to get it moving towards the source. That's how sensitive their uh, sense of smell is. I wonder if that's how they locate shipwrecks and stuff so quickly. That could be. I mean, great whites in particular, they can detect blood three miles away. Wow. Yeah. So if you're in the ocean and you have a cut or you are the victim of a shipwreck and you're bleeding a little bit, you actually have a few minutes before sharks start moving your way, kind of depending on where the sharks are and how fast the current is moving. They have to be whatever the ocean equivalent of downwind is from the blood to detect it and then respond to it. So it's not like that as soon as one drop of blood hits the water, some great white shark on the other side of the ocean is instantly going to start swimming toward you. Right. And they're not the ones that prey on shipwrecks that much anyway, so thank goodness. Right, because... That, you could, that, that shark would be the uh, the oceanic white tip. That's the guy you should worry about. <laughs> oh, is that it? Yep. <laughs> because as yeah. we learned, as we learned, people equal celery. Yes, it's true. <laughs> Unless you're dead, then it might be worth it. <laughs> Donna, on a scale from one to ten, ten being people who can go to the moon and you know, make podcasts and stuff like that. How smart do you think the great white shark is? I'm going to say five or six. I mean, they're not solving puzzles of any kind, usually. Right. But they're not like mindless killing machines either, so. Yeah, and before I did the research, I was prepared to give them probably like a two or a three. Um, But I read this really interesting article that says that sharks have individual personalities, they socialize, they choose best friends, they create social networks, they can teach each other new tricks, they can be trained by humans to complete simple tasks even much more quickly than like rabbits or cats, and retain the knowledge for much longer. Yeah, so on a scale of 1 to 10, I was initially going to give them a 2 or 3, but I am going to be like you. I'm going to give them a 5 and a half. They're right in the middle, so... I think you probably have to have a little bit more than just brute strength to be an apex predator. You kind of have to be pretty good at your job. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not surprised, but that's really cool. We are going to talk about pop culture here in a minute, but first, this message. From start to finish... The Twilight Zone remains one of the most compelling series in television history. In honor of the show, I, Brandon Cruz, and a variety of guests, both regular and special, watch the series from start to finish, and we discuss the characters, themes, and ideas Rod Serling brought to the screen. It's sometimes serious, it's sometimes humorous, but it's always interesting. Submitted for your approval, I present to you a Twilight Zone podcast. And we're back. Hey, you know what? Me and Donna, we're just a couple of nerds just like you, and we really don't see animals up close and in person very often. So let's talk a little bit about where we see most of them on movies, TV, and video games. And we can't talk about great white sharks without talking... About this. Uh oh. <laughs> it's ominous, right? You know what's coming. Something scary. Oh no. 
Uh-oh. It's okay, Donna. It's okay. It's just a podcast. Get out of the water! <laughs> that, of course, is the theme song from Jaws. Uh, the 1975 movie that was adapted from the novel written by Peter Benchley. It's the story of a great white shark that terrorizes a small resort town and the voyage of three men that are trying to kill it. It's one of those rare occasions where if you haven't read the book yet, I'm not going to tell you not to read the book, but you're probably going to wind up liking the movie better. I know at least I did. I liked the movie far better than I liked the book. And that's because Peter Benchley himself was involved with the screenplay, writing the screenplay for the movie. And uh, he and was it, it was Steven Spielberg, right, that directed that movie? Yes. And they kind of worked together to kind of improve on what Peter Benchley wrote in the book. And even Peter Benchley himself agreed that the film was better than the book. Uh, he was not, however, involved in any of the film sequels. But one of the negative side effects of the film Jaws was that not only were people scared crapless about going in the ocean for a while, but the public opinion of shark conservation just took a nosedive. Like, people saw sharks as things that needed to be killed before they ate everybody. And so that was one of the regrets that Peter Benchley had about both the novel and the film. And in fact, a lot of the writing that he did in the last 10 years of his life were nonfiction works that were both about the ocean and about shark conservation. So yeah, so John Williams also did the theme for that movie, which people should know if they don't. And uh, that's probably why it's so good. Because <laughs> yeah. he's really good at that sort of thing. Peter eventually wrote a book called uh, Shark Trouble in 2001 that I've read. And it's really good. I highly recommend that you should read it. In there, he talks about the writing of Jaws and how it came about. That's a pretty interesting story. We learn in that book that his father suggested the title, uh, What's That Noshin' on My Leg? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. They had a hard time figuring out a name for it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but he spent uh, a great uh, deal of his life dealing with shark conservation and also shark education. Do you remember in the 70s and 80s, he used to do a lot of American sportsmen and National Geographic Oh, yes. Shows where he'd go out and look at sharks and talk about them and stuff. I do remember that. He uh, he spent a lot of time scuba diving with various people all around the world. And one of the best stories in the book is one about he's taking a diving trip to dig around some cannons in Walker Key in the Bahamas. They were just going down there to see if this pile of cannons could indicate that there was a shipwreck nearby or if it was just a you know, a bunch of dunked cannons. So picture this beautiful Bermuda, clear waters, gorgeous, um, you know, those aqua clear waters and like a big pile of cannons right in the middle. Okay, sure. <laughs> and, and he has a couple of buddies with him and one of them snorkeling near the surface. And so he has a, a, a clear view of the whole area. So he sees Peter Benchley digging down by this cannon pile down there. And he sees this great white shark coming along just cruising along like a young male 10 or 12 feet long and peter hadn't seen it so he starts slapping the water and trying to warn peter benchley and then it occurred to him oh i probably shouldn't call attention to myself don't <laughs> <laughs> he like swam like a rocket to get to the boat ah! 
So I think if you don't mind, I'll just read the short paragraph where Peter eventually talks about the encounter that followed. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, This is from Chapter 10 of Shark Trouble. We saw each other. Our eyes locked for perhaps a nanosecond, just long enough for my brain to register and recognize what my eyes were seeing, and for its brain to register, I guess, shock and surprise. I was paralyzed. (laughs) The shark wasn't. It braked with its pectoral fins like a plane with its flaps down for landing, spun completely around in its own length, and vanished in a billowy cloud of brown which had exploded from its bowel. (laughs) I was alone, (laughs) kneeling on the bottom, stunned and breathless, and within a few seconds covered by a a cloud of great white shark poop. He scared the crap out of a great white shark. He, he literally scared the crap out of a great white shark. That is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I highly recommend that book. It's called Shark, shark Trouble. Um, if you want to listen to an audio, audio version, there's one on Audible that Peter eventually reads himself, and it's really good. Awesome. Do you know what the name of the mechanical shark in Jaws was? No. Huh? Bruce. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Ah, that must be why they call him Bruce in Finding Nemo. Yep. You want to play that clip? Yes. Here we go. Right then. The meeting has officially come to order. Let us all say the pledge. I now am a shark, not a mindless eating machine. If I am to change this image, I must first change myself. Fish are friends, not food. (laughs) <laughs> I was wondering if we were supposed to say the pledge, but then I remembered I'm not a great white shark. So. <laughs> <laughs> or not a shark of any kind. I love that movie. I love that movie. It's one of my favorites. And it's so inaccurate as far as nature is concerned. <laughs> it really is. You just have to let it go because it's a cartoon. So That's one of my favorite parts of that whole movie. Yeah, I love that part. That's really <laughs> fun. I love it when they bring the little friend... I brought oh. a friend. <laughs> <laughs> the little shivery friend. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. Okay. So Very Donna. Good. Yeah. Uh great white sharks, are they friends or food? Neither. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you should if if you are an adventurous diver, I think, and you really want to dive with them, then you certainly can take that opportunity though you'll be quite lucky to find them they're they're pretty vulnerable species and they're less and less um findable i suppose uh, it's it's hard to locate them even for researchers so right um, yeah so it would be tough to be friends with a great white shark and they don't really i don't think they really make friends with people they might i don't even know if they make friends with other great whites so yeah they're I mean, very shy were, you were saying that some sharks do make friends, but I think they're more of a solo predator. And they don't seem to... Well, of course, they eat in groups, so maybe they're socializing then. Maybe whale carcass meeting is sort of like a an outing. You know? <laughs> they email each other. Hey, hey. are you going go the, to the whale carcass next week? <laughs> but... Uh, no, and they can't be food. They are food quite a bit, quite quite a bit too much. And, yeah, um, unfortunately. So there's 144 million sharks of all species that are killed at the hands of human beings every year, most of them for the shark finning 
industry that supplies shark fin soup. Yeah, so, that is awful. Yeah, and it's way too many. It's way too many. It's not even a little sustainable. It needs to stop yesterday. And, uh, yeah. So if they were not a vulnerable animal, then sure, you could eat them. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's plenty of sharks out there that uh, are not vulnerable and they are edible. And I have actually eaten shark. It's been quite a long time, but shark is good, but I don't... What kind of shark? It was a black tip shark that we have a lot of here in Florida. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh -huh. Very tasty. But I couldn't eat a great white shark. I mean, I just, I couldn't do it. No. They're too no. cool. And yeah. sh and shark fin soup, you couldn't pay me enough money to even take a taste of shark fin soup. We could That's do just... a whole show. We could do a whole week of shows on the problems with shark fin soup. It's a huge, complex topic. So oh, and it would bum but, uh, everybody out. Everybody would be so depressed. But but suffice it to say, we wouldn't. We just wouldn't eat this shark. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> you could probably eat a dogfish. There's a lot of those. Is that a type of shark? Uh huh. All right. You know those little guys, like they're three feet long or so. They're kind of always in the sandy shallows. I don't know if there are any in Florida. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there, there are some in Florida. Yeah, those guys are little sharks. I'll eat one of those. Yeah. Sure. No, no. With mayonnaise <laughs> <laughs> on some nice toasted hoagie bread. Donna. Yes. Is your brain a repository of useless information, just like mine is? Yes. Well, let's help the listeners win that next trivia night or just sound smarter than the rest of the room with the animal fact of the week. Now, my little fact of the week is that if you go to an aquarium, you might see sharks, but you'll probably never see a great white. They're hard to catch. In many cases, they're illegal to catch. And they simply just won't eat and thrive in captivity. Um, if you catch something and you put it in a cage, you pretty much have to feed it in order for it to live. And sharks, great white sharks, just refuse to eat. They, they can't do it. I uh, wonder why that is. That's so strange. They just shut down. I don't know. The Monterey Bay Aquarium near San Francisco, they've managed to keep great whites in captivity for like a month or two. The last shark they kept in their aquarium was in 2011. It wasn't doing so good. They released it back into the wild after two months of captivity and it died minutes after being released. And in 2013, oh. the Monterey Bay Aquarium decided that they would no longer collect and display white sharks. And almost a year ago, a Japanese aquarium kept a great white shark, and it lasted three days in captivity, and it died. So you just can't keep them in a tank for very long. And that's one of the reasons rehabilitating <laughs> great white sharks is so hard. Like, you can't, like, if you find an injured one, it's not like you can just scoop it up and put it in a tank and, and take care of it. And that's also why people really don't know how many great white sharks are actually out there. So that's why they're listed as vulnerable and not, you know, endangered. But still, you know, great white sharks, we, we don't know how well they're doing. Yeah, I've read different articles about um, some different organizations trying to actually get a decent count of them. And it's really hard. Yeah. But the news is not good. Yeah. There's not that many. The Monterey Bay Aquarium kind of defended itself a little bit, and they said, well, you know, look, we raised about $4 million for uh, shark conservation awareness, right. but, you know, if you're killing sharks, I don't know if that's such a great idea. But they're not well, doing it anymore. No, and they had to find out. I mean, you can't find out an answer to a question without doing some research and experimentation and 
So, and it, there's no question about it that captive sharks help people learn about them and they help increase awareness of the problems of the sea. Absolutely. And so I can definitely see why they would want to do it, uh, at least temporarily, but it's just not even something you can do short term, it sounds like. so. No, not at yeah. all. So that leads into my fact of the week, which is um, where are the baby great whites? Part of the answer to this question is... Um, related to the inability to get accurate numbers on these guys. Almost nothing is known of great white shark reproductive behavior. No one's ever seen one give birth. All we know is that um, from the examination of shark carcasses, what the babies are like and stuff. We don't know if they date. We don't know if they meet at the whale carcass and decide to go to the movies later. (laughs) We don't know what they find attractive about each other, if they share hobbies. We don't don't know. What we do know is that they migrate a lot all over the world. And some of these trips are probably to go make little baby sharks. Male sharks, uh, great white sharks, are fully adult at 23 years of age and females at around 30. And they can have incredibly long lifespans, up to around 70 years. This is the biggest reason that people need to stop hunting these sharks. They are managing to kill a lot of great whites before they are actually adults and not giving them enough time to make baby sharks. And a species is bound to be in trouble if they can't have babies. This is just a fact. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's pretty much why. We adopted a shark a long time ago during the 2000s, um, probably more than 10 years ago, from an organization called eamania.org. They don't do this program anymore, but they were conducting a research program about great white sharks, and you would adopt one, and that just contributed to the money that they needed for the radio tags and things. But the one that we had adopted was called Pedro, and he was a six-foot-long great white shark. Oh, Pedro. Oh, Pedro. And they said he was a baby. So he wasn't a newborn baby. But he was really an infant. So. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah, the newborn babies are probably. I would imagine they're probably three, four feet long when they're born. If what we know from other species is sort of analogous. But uh, yeah, we we don't really know anything about how, where they mate, anything. I don't even. I'm not even sure they know what gestation is or anything. So. Wow, that's amazing. Well, hopefully they're very hard to study. As you probably found in your research. Yeah, they're, extremely. They're extremely difficult to find, and then getting them to stick around so you can watch them is even more difficult. So so Pedro might still be out there swimming around, taking as female as sharks. nothing's happened to him, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's probably, he was a really young shark at the time, so it's, we'll say, 10 years now. He's not even a grown-up yet. Taking female sharks over to the whale carcass. For a bite. <laughs> yeah, he's dating. He's like he's a teenage shark. He's, he's dating teenage girl sharks. <laughs> don't touch that. That's just like celery. You don't want that. That's like a garnish. You don't want that. Ew, <laughs> that's gross. <laughs> What's that thing on top of the carcass? Ugh, get it off. It's just celery. Pick it off. <laughs> <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> your, your father and I met at the whale carcass. It was very romantic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that was uh, fun. Do you have anything else for great white sharks this week? Nope, just they're awesome and everybody needs to learn more about them and should support conservation research whenever you can. 
if you want to adopt a great white shark, there are many programs across the world that are using that kind of program to fuel their research. So just make a Google search and you'll find other places that are doing it. Because like I said, the place that I did it with isn't doing that research anymore. So. And everything that we've talked about on the show today, we you can find in our show notes at blazingcariboustudios.com slash sharks. And uh, you can get links to the articles that we talked about and some of the little video clips and the music and all that good stuff right there at uh, blazingcariboustudios.com. Thanks for listening, everybody. The Varmints Podcast is produced by me, Paul Chomo. And me, Donna Hume. You can find me at at tiny underscore rage and at dystopia tiny rage dot my portfolio dot com. With technical support by Matthew Chomo and music by Kevin McLeod. Go to BlazingCariboustudios.com slash varmints for links to the audio and our show notes for today's episode. We are on Twitter and Instagram at Varmints Podcast, all one word. Varmints Podcast at gmail.com for questions, comments, stories, and suggestions. And we would love it if you took the time to leave us a nice review on Stitcher, iTunes, or wherever you download your podcasts from. Thanks again for listening, and until next time... Be nice to Be animals. Be nice to animals. Be nice. Be nice to everyone. You've been listening to a Blazing Caribou Studios production. Support and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash blazingcariboustudios. Any one of you lily-livered, bow-legged varmints care to slap leather with me? In case any of you get any ideas, you better know who you're dealing with. I'm the hootinest, tootinest, shootinest, bobtail wildcat in the West.